Welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It's Wednesday, January 25th, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I'm joined today by legal affairs correspondent Jeremy Sharon and diaspora and religion writer Judah Ari Gross. Hello, good morning to you both. Hey, Jessica. Morning, Jessica. Hi there. We're going to speak today about Shas leader Aryeh Derry, who appeared to have retired from politics in 2022, but now says he did not. Uh, we also have left-wing religious Jews banding together, a legal building for Jews and Bedouin, and a lack of Opan teachers. Before we jump into all of that, let's take a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Sarachuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek Team at www.sarachecklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K, lawfirm.com, or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement, and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Jeremy, break this down for us. We've got Shas leader Arye Derry, who has now been barred from the government as a cabinet minister by the high court, and he's doing everything he can to get back in, including insisting that he never actually pledged to quit political life back in 2022 as part of a plea bargain. So where does that leave us? What What is really happening here? And what are the legal ramifications of it all? The dairy ruling last week uh, created a massive political headache for the new government, put a big obstacle in, in, in Derry's ministerial career. And, and what he said since then, specifically on Sunday morning at the cabinet uh, meeting before he was dismissed from his role by, by Netanyahu in accordance with the court ruling, is that he never intended to quit political life permanently. In the, in the framework of this plea bargain, which he signed in 2022, which brought an end to his criminal trial for, for tax fraud. Okay, what happened was he was charged with, uh, with two counts of, of tax fraud. He, he made a plea bargain with attor- the Attorney General at the time. And he said in that plea bargain with uh, the Attorney General, I'm quitting the Knesset. I just want to start by, by talking about why this is relevant, okay? One critical part of the High Court's ruling was that Derry's appointment was illegitimate because he told the Jerusalem Magistrates Court, or at least he gave the impression to the Jerusalem Magistrates Court, that he was quitting politics permanently. And the High Court said that that the fact that he's now taken up ministerial positions again meant he deceived the Magistrates Court, he got his plea bargain, and likely got a more lenient sentence, but is now coming back to politics. So the high court said that the high court said that is illegitimate, and on that and and it made a ruling on that basis. And the basis of that ruling makes it much more hard, legislatively speaking, for Derry and the government to circumvent it and get Derry back into the government. So that's why Derry talked about the fact that 
he never committed permanently to uh, to quit politics permanently, and that's why this is an issue. So we looked at we looked at what he actually said and did at the time, and we also looked at how the uh, the judges interpreted that. So what happened at the time, as I said, was that he signed this plea bargain with the Attorney General saying he was going to resign from the Knesset in return for bringing an end to his criminal trial. In the plea bargain, it says that he's quitting the Knesset, but it does not say that he's quitting politics permanently. That wasn't something which was defined in in the plea bargain. Okay, then he gets to court in uh, January 2022. Him and his uh, attorney make comments which make it sound very much like he is quitting politics, but they didn't say it exactly. What he said was, I want to continue with the time that remains for me to invest in the needs of the public, which, which I have represented, in a different manner, even if not from the Knesset. That was what Derry told the judge in the sentencing hearing in January 2022. Again, it doesn't say he's quitting politics permanently, but he says it, 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 sound, it sounds something like that, you know, with the time that remains to me. Okay, and then the, the, what's also relevant is what the prosecutor, the state prosecution thought, and what the judge, the presiding judge in the magistrate's court thought. The state prosecutor came to the court to present the, to present the plea bargain for the court's approval. He said, I'm now presenting condi- conditions which might lead to leniency in the sentencing. And he said, including the, the accused's public statement and his retirement from political life. That's a direct quote from the state prosecution. And the judge in his statement at the final, his final sentencing hearing, he said, the, the accused, a public, a public figure for many years, is removing himself from the desire to be involved in the needs of the public. And he said that Derry, you know, has been, seen himself as being a, a, a public servant for many years. And, and he said, in light of this case and the charges which are against him, he is giving it up of his own volition. And and then the, the, the judge went on to say, this is no easy sacrifice for someone who has molded himself as a public servant. And it appears to me that the prosecution itself hinted that this is part of the punishment which the accused, that's Derry, has imposed upon himself. So, so in the high court ruling, they looked at all of this. All the, the judges, the justices of the high court looked at all of this and said, you know, there very much was here a, a represent a presentation by Derry that that looked like he was quitting politics permanently, and that's how, if you look at the statements by the prosecution and by the judge and even by Derry himself, that's what they that's what they believed. And so now, so so the court said, based on that on that representation, you can't then now say uh, I'm gonna I'm now you know I quit the, I quit the twenty fourth Knesset, the one that just collapsed, and I quit it for a few months. And now I'm coming back and, and, and taking up to join, to join the 25th Knesset, be an MK, and moreover become the interior minister and health minister. So what's the upshot now? What are we expecting to see happen or what could happen? The upshot of Derry's claims, it doesn't have a, a itself a great impact. The, the court ruled and he has now been removed from office. Uh, the, the government is still trying to figure out how to get Derry back in as a minister. The way the High Court ruled, as we, we talked about last week, makes it difficult to legislate around that. But there are there are options. One option is one, one option which has been mooted is to legislate that uh, this would be an amendment to a basic law that the High Court cannot um, has no jurisdiction to rule on appointments, government appointments. And that would, and, and, and so once you pass that legislation, you could then reappoint Derry and then the High Court doesn't have any jurisdiction, doesn't have any authority to strike down that appointment. Uh, that would be a controversial legislation, not that this government necessarily is going to shy away from controversial legislation, 
but that would be perhaps even more controversial uh, than we've seen before. It, it's still unclear exactly how Derry will get back into office, but um, we, the purpose of the article was to kind of lay out exactly what 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 Derry said and and how the judges interpreted that and and uh, you know juxtaposed to what he's saying today. Okay, Jeremy, that's extremely helpful because man, is it complicated. Okay, Judah, we've got left-wing religious Jews who have been feeling politically homeless and banded together and actually had a conference this week in Jerusalem. And of course, we're seeing a lot of them at the Jerusalem protests as well on Saturday nights for the last few weeks. Tell us what the conference is about. Tell us who they are. What do we have going on here? Yeah, so this is a grassroots movement calling itself Small Emuni, which uh, in Hebrew means uh, sort of left-wing faithful. And yeah, the idea is basically right now the religious parties, and I guess in the Knesset there's technically five, there's the ultra-Orthodox Shas and United Torah Judaism parties, and then there's the religious Zionism party, Otzma Yehudit and Noam, all of which identify themselves as Orthodox or ultra-Orthodox. And the ultra-Orthodox, it's a little bit more complicated because sort of historically they have sat in both right-wing and left-wing governments, but especially the past you know, 15, 20 years, overwhelmingly sitting in uh, right-wing governments, very much tying their fate to the Likud party. On the other hand, you have the sort of religious Zionism parties, the national religious parties, um, and they um, originally sort of go back a couple decades were a little bit more centrist. Um, There was even once upon a time, about 20 years ago, there was a left-wing religious Zionist party called Maimad. Um, But in recent years, sort of those parties have gone very much to the right, um, in some cases with sort of Noam and Otsmayudit and and the religious Zionism party, um, even to the far right. Um, And so this has left sort of a, a large number of sort of more progressive religious Zionists without uh, a clear political camp. Um, There are sort of within other parties that are not explicitly or overtly religious, um, there are sort of religious parliamentarians. There's uh, um, in the Labor Party, there have been sort of religious religious members in the Yeshatid, in in the current uh, National Unity Party. But there hasn't been any sort of one dedicated movement for liberal and religious Jews. And so this organization sort of sprang up from lots of different people who all knew one another from their work in left-wing organizations. A lot of the people who organized it all kind of knew each other from different places and decided, okay, let's sort of try to try to do something. They, um, I spoke to one of the organizers, a woman named Michal uh, Chernovitsky, who said, uh, you know, they had hoped they'd throw, you know, in their wildest dreams, they'd hoped to get 300 people signed up. Um, two days after they opened registration, 400 people had signed up. In the end, uh, over 600 people came. Um, so they sort of saw it as a resounding success. Um, the people who spoke, you know, they brought in people to speak at this conference, which included uh, Adina Bar Shalom, who is the daughter of a very famous Fardi chief rabbi, Ovadia Yosef, who, you know, helped found the Shas movement and is sort of still highly revered among large swaths of the Israeli population. Um, And she talked about how her father sort of supported Land for Peace. And uh, now, you know, the the sort of the religious and especially the ultra-Orthodox world has sort of moved uh, 
more and more to the right and people don't talk about peace anymore um, and sort of extremism has sort of swept through uh, her community. What was significant was they all came from sort of very different parts of the religious spectrum. There were people who were more traditional, but not necessarily, you know, keeping all of the Jewish law. And then there were some people who were sort of national religious, sort of uh, modern Orthodox. And then there was also a, a solid representation of people who were, um, you know, ultra-Orthodox or Haredi. So Judah, what's their game plan? Yeah, so their game plan for now is amorphous. They don't really have, you know, this isn't the the beginning of a new political party here and now. Um, they have some plans to sort of put out educational material, you know, the, especially now a lot of the, um, when I spoke to Michal Chernovitsky, sort of one of the things that she said was that in a lot of the education system for um, religious kids, um, the teachers come from the more sort of right-wing, what, what's called Hardal or Haredilumi, sort of ultra-Orthodox, na- you know, nationalist ultra-Orthodox um, side of things, which sort of comes with a specific um, right-wing mentality and that the kids sort of get taught things and they come home and their parents who don't necessarily agree with it don't necessarily have the tools to sort of say, okay, yeah, that's what he believes, but we believe this. Um, and so they're trying to produce some educational materials. And then beyond that, I think it's sort of uh, the, the thing that I heard from uh, a number of people who attended the conference was um, that this is also about sort of community building, that these are lots of people who feel um, potentially at odds in their synagogue because they're the only person who has sort of more left-wing political views or they're more outspoken on uh, political issues. Um, and suddenly they sort of saw that they're not, you know, that they're not alone, that there's other people like them uh, in Jerusalem or across the country. So um, I think it was a uh, part of it was just sort of building that network and that community. And then going forward, I think they have a lot of a lot of different ideas that would require funding and organization. And that's more to come. But for now, it's sort of this grassroots thing that they're trying to see uh, sort of what comes next. Interesting. Okay, thanks for that. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Jeremy will talk to us about some evacuations that have been taking place. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, Jeremy, so we've got on the headlines an evacuation from an illegal West Bank outpost and currently an evacuation of an illegal Bedouin village. Obviously, very different kinds of situations, but are they? What can you tell us about this? So what's interesting about these incidents is the tensions that they have brought brought to the fore within the within the coalition so i'll explain what happened on thursday night and friday some um some some radical uh, settlers five families put up a an illegal outpost in the northern west bank um actually it was established on some private palestinian land nevertheless they put up a few prefabricated buildings and Later on Friday, the civil administration, which is a uh, a body within the defense ministry, came to uh, knock down this uh, this small outpost and evacuate the evacuate the settlers. Now, 
within the coalition agreement signed between the Religious Zionism Party, headed by Bitsalov Smotrich, uh, Smotrich is the finance minister, but he also demanded to be appointed a minister in the defense ministry and to be given authority over that civil administration unit, which is involved in evacuating illegal outposts. The outpost was evacuated on Friday, but Smotrich was furious with Defence Minister Yoav Gallant because Smotrich said, don't evacuate it, and Gallant, Yoav Gallant said, go ahead and evacuate it. And that caused uh, extreme tensions within the coalition. On Sunday, the same, the same settlers tried to re-establish the outpost, but again, it was evacuated. So, so there's this tension between Smotrich and his party, and, his, and also the far-right uh, Osma Yehudit party, which wants to allow these settlements, or not to demolish these settlements immediately. And, and Yoav Gallant, who wants to take a more uh, legal approach and, and not allow any wildcat settlement outpost to be established wherever it was. And Netanyahu has backed Gallant. Uh, and actually, Netanyahu and had a meeting last night with Smotrich and Gallant to try and uh, iron out these differences. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't go very far, and, and those, tensions, those tensions remain. Because there was this enforcement against this illegal uh, Israeli settlement outpost in the West Bank, the, the, the two far-right parties, Religious Zionism and Otsmai Yehudit, they said, this is, this is outrageous. You know, there's an enforcement against the Israeli settlements, but not enforcement against illegal Palestinian construction and, 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 and settlements. And there is indeed a, quite a lot of illegal Palestinian construction for various reasons in Area C of the West Bank. Israel has full civilian and uh, military control of Area C in the West Bank. One of the most uh, renowned uh, examples of this is a Bedouin encampment just outside Jerusalem called uh, Khan al-Ahmar. The High Court in 2018 said that the state could go ahead and demolish it because it was built on state land within the West Bank. And for various reasons, that evacuation has been delayed ever since. We've been going on nearly nearly five years now. The head of the Otsmaiyudit party, Bengvir, and the head of and and, and Smotrich said, "You have to evacuate Khan al Ahmar." Uh, this this is they called it you know racist discrimination against against uh, Israeli Jews in the West Bank. So the, the problem with Khan al Ahmar is that human rights organizations, including international human rights organizations, the EU and other 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 institutions, have warned Israel that according to the laws of the, the according to principles of the International Criminal Court, moving a population within an occupied territory which is how they define the West Bank, could amount to a war crime if it is forcible removal. So, so that has been a, a consideration for the Israeli government since 2018 in their uh, dealings with Khan al-Akhmar. And the, the government has been cautious not to overstep the line in this regard. What's the bottom line here right now in terms of what we're looking ahead to these two situations? The bottom line is that the government is going to have to make a decision on Khan, on Khan al-Akhmar uh, very soon. And it's going to either cause a problem within the coalition or a problem internationally. Okay, thanks for that. And Judah, finally, we're, you've got a piece about a shortage of Ulpan teachers, instructors who teach Hebrew to new immigrants, of which there have been many uh, in, the last, in the last year or so. What is the story here and why do we not have enough Hebrew teachers? Yeah, so there's kind of two stories here. There's sort of the, the acute issue of um, there are not enough Ulpan teachers, you know, people who teach Hebrew to new immigrants, uh, which means that the um, 70 plus thousand new immigrants who arrived in Israel uh, over the past year um, 
are having to wait, you know, months and months and months, and in some cases half a year, um, in order to start Hebrew classes, which um, you know significantly slows their integration into Israeli society. If you don't speak Hebrew, it's difficult to sort of navigate things. It's difficult to get a job find a place to live. Um, you know, it, overwhelmingly, many, many studies, everybody agrees, sort of the main factor of a successful integration um, into Israel as a new immigrant is uh, knowledge of Hebrew. So this is sort of a significant issue in the immediate term is sort of one one side of this. Um, and then the underlying reason why is there this shortage um, is sort of a separate issue dealing with the working conditions for these Ulpan teachers, um, which uh, as somebody who sort of is familiar with this world, I knew was bad. I didn't realize how bad. It's been about 20 years since they've had work sort of negotiations in terms of uh, updating their pay. There are people who spoke in the Knesset who talked about how they've been getting paid the same salary for 20 years, which is pretty wild to think about. They're getting paid, uh, I mean, a bit better than minimum wage, but because they're not considered the teachers in the way that school teachers are, they're sort of in a different union. They don't get part, they're not part of those negotiations. Um, Their salaries are, in some cases, significantly lower. I think um, in some cases, you have teachers making like 11,000 shekels a month versus sort of even very senior Ulpan teachers making 7,000 shekels a month. These are pretty huge disparities. A lot of times they're the work that they do, sort of grading papers and preparing materials is not counted as work hours, which means that they're not considered full-time employees, which also means they get not as good benefits. Both sides of these are happening sort of in tandem. And obviously, they're they're very much related to one another. But resolving the, the Ulpan teacher issue and their working conditions may have a long-term effect on increasing the number of uh, Hebrew classes for new immigrants. But sort of in the immediate term, there's work being done to try to... Uh, find some alternatives, some private alternatives. Right now, most of the, most people study in sort of state-run ulpans, these uh, courses um, that are run by the education ministry. And so this would, the the idea is sort of in the immediate term to uh, increase the number of vouchers that people can get to study in private Hebrew courses. Both of those are being dealt with in tandem. The Knesset um, and specifically the Knesset's uh, Immigration, Absorption, and Diaspora Affairs Committee um, has taken this on and is planning on tracking this going forward, getting sort of regular updates. Uh, part of the problem is that this is run, um, this whole system is sort of run by three government ministries. Um, you have the education ministry, the immigration and absorption ministry, and the finance ministry. Um, so sort of having all of those different groups together makes it very difficult to get anything done. Um, so we'll be sort of tracking this as it goes forward. I imagine we will be. Okay. Thank you both for uh, unfolding some pretty complicated stories that are out there right now. We appreciate it. Thanks, Jeremy. And thanks, Judah. Thanks, Jessica. Thanks, Jessica. Uh, We will be back tomorrow with another daily briefing. In the meantime, have yourselves a good day and a good listen. Thanks for listening to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. And thanks to our producer, Gilad Brownstein, and to Gili Amar for this this out-of-this-world music. You can find us daily wherever you find your podcasts. And on our mothership, timesofisrael.com. Like what you hear? Consider rating us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to spread the word. And be sure to check out our weekly feature, Times Will Tell, released every Friday. Until next time, Shalom. Shalom.